In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. Well, all right. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to another installment. And today, Amy, I thought I would start um, by asking you a bit of a history. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I'm starting off with the What's the opposite of a bang? Like a dud. A whimper? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, just the, like a deep, profound silence. We're going to start with a deep, profound silence, yeah. um, which everyone always loves in an it's audio really- medium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love a really long pause in an uh-huh. audio medium. Uh-huh. Um, so my question was, do you know what I mean when I say the dust bowl? <laughs> I mean, yes, but don't don't make me like try to explain it because it it was a time period, and mm-hmm. me oh no, um, <laughs> and and in and in a place, uh huh, but I don't know the time period or the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. I, I, okay, okay, okay. Uh, and it was very sandy. It was, mm-hmm. it, it was, there, was it a time period where there was a bad drought and it was, um, all the crops were drying up and in like rural places yes. in particular, it was very, you know, lots of dust. Yes. And yes. You no know, dirt. Yes. You that tell us what correct. it means because clearly I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, you're nothing, I guess because you were being extremely cautious, <laughs> nothing you said was incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, but, what, as a teacher, what would you give me as a grade on that? On that? Uh, well, I, I, I know. think, I think I could give you in the low. 60s range um I mean like like it's not a fail you know like uh but like pretty close to a fail (laughs) like pretty damn like I said like I said the reason you get at least a d is because you didn't say anything that was technically wrong but you also didn't really say much of anything so like that's what what, what huh what is it? Okay, so 
The Dust Bowl happens in the United States and I guess to some degree in Canada. Um, and it happens during the 1930s. So I was going to say that and then I got scared that that was going to be wrong. <laughs> um, and it, in the American case, I actually am only learning that it happened in Canada via Wikipedia, which I didn't know. Um in the American case, it happens like in the area of like Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Kansas, Colorado, that kind yeah. of area where all of those states meet. Um, oh, oh. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so basically, um, it is the, it's known as one of the most uh, notable and perhaps I think first kind of man-made or like that human behavior contributes to an environmental disaster of pretty large proportion. That's what it's known for. Um, basically, as you also said, it starts with a severe series of years of droughts, um, but then also the style of farming that was used in that part of the country um, kind of ripped or how would I say like stripped the topsoil of quite a lot of its natural nutrients and stuff and so basically um then the topsoil would just blow away uh oh. and that's then creates that's the good. various big giant dust storms hmm. um that also happen as a result of this and circumstance how how long did it last for? Was it like a one event or was it just like a continuous type of time period? Um, it's a long time. So according to Wikipedia, the droughts come in three waves in 1934, 36 and 39. Um, but things don't really improve between them very much. It's just like slight improvements. So the Dust Bowl is also um, part of the reason that a lot of people start moving to California. Um, mm -hmm. So like, I mean, this is also, cause it's all bound up. It's also happening at the same time as the Great Depression. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, people will pack up their families and often they start moving into California um, and to a lesser degree, Oregon and Washington state. Mm -hmm. um, but like, this is where you get the term Oki uh, to refer to people who've moved out of, because it's not that the Dust Bowl only happened in Oklahoma, um, but people perceived these people who migrated away from this environmental disaster. They were called Okies because they're associated with Oklahoma. Um, it was a bit of a slur. Like, so if you were called an Okie in California, it was not a good thing. Um, and in fact, there's a famous song called Okie from Muskogee. Muskogee. Anyway. Um, you mean that's... The, do you mean the famous song that goes, Oklahoma? <laughs> no, not that. Not, I, was, not that one. I was just literally <laughs> looking up Oklahoma the musical to make sure that it wasn't it wasn't about the dust bowl <laughs> because i was like i'm gonna feel real dumb if even if this like it's about a dust bowl and it's not it's early 1900s so 
Yes. Yes. No, it is a very different time compared. Like that's when Oklahoma seemed pretty great, I guess. Um, although not great to me. Depending but... on what your definition of great is, I suppose. Yeah. 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 I'm not a fan of that version of anything, but to somebody that looks pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and there's especially that terrible ballet part. I hate that ballet part. <laughs> in that one I, I really just I was literally just reading the sentence that said a 15 minute dream ballet I hate oh 15 minute dream ballet go fuck yourself no I don't want it to have any part I, in I, that. I agree that I don't like that in a musical because generally yeah yeah, I I just I could yeah I agree and in a musical I don't like a thing I don't I don't like a thing like that. I actually generally don't like the dream sequences in a musical. There's no. also in um, Fiddler that I don't like. Oh, um, right. The one in Fiddler is pretty bad. I mean, it's just like creepy for no reason. Um, yeah. Although I do like the Fruma Sarah part of it. That part. But it's creepy. It is. It is. But we're really falling down on the job of talking about this movie. So welcome to see you next week in space, everyone. I am Sarah Walsh and I'm here with my sister and co-host Amy Walsh. And Amy, what are we talking about today? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest, something I didn't care for, but I, (laughs) before I say what it is, I had texted you that I was like angry whenever it was that I was first watching this. And I will say, upon watching the second half and finishing it, I did get less angry, but <laughs> I still have a lot of thoughts about changes that they could have made. <laughs> yes, we are watching. We are talking about rather um, the 2014. I thought it was like a pretty, I don't know if it was a hit, but I remember, I remember yeah. the name of it. I knew the title and everything. Um, Interstellar. Yeah, I would say it's a hit. And we'll talk a bit more about it um, later. Um, in terms of how this movie is described on, on IMDb, it is, quote, a team of explorers travel through a wormhole in space in an attempt to ensure humanity's survival. Um, that is that like a- very simplified version but i mean yes technically that is what it was yes that is the bulk of the movie is that i would say yeah and i'll be honest there were times when i did not get that i mean i guess a, <laughs> a, a big part of my problem i realized in in the end was i didn't feel smart enough i didn't feel like i got this movie mm. i felt like there was yeah it was too I'll say the movie that I wish it was later on, but okay. like it was just like it was too much for me. And when I realized at the end that it was a Christopher Nolan movie, I then understood because I yes. guess he likes to do movies that are purposefully a little confounding. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, this is a Christopher Nolan jam um who i think at this point most people know who christopher nolan is but on the off chance you aren't picturing who this uh director is 
He is responsible as well for things like Inception. Um, Tenet was also recently out. That's his. Um, and then I didn't know this because it was really quite a while ago. The movie The Prestige. Do you remember that movie? It sounds familiar, but I don't know. I don't know. If you gave me a test on what that was about, I'd probably fail it. <laughs> um, that was the one where it was like Christian Bale and he was a magician. Oh, gosh. I don't know it. Yeah. Um, it's pretty good. It's sim- it's. I might almost say that's probably one of his most easily understood movies mm. because it still involves a twist. Like all of these involve a twist. I don't um, like Twist. A twist doesn't bother me. I, it's and I've said this before. <laughs> My problem with time, time. Well, I don't. I wouldn't even call this time travel. But like, it time, is a bit. It is a time. But time is time jumping. Time. Yeah. Time. We don't know what the hell time is. Movies is very difficult for me. I really struggle with the like basic understanding of like where we're at if I don't have time as a way to measure it yeah yeah I think that's more than fair I similarly found myself at various points being like okay I think I understand what they just said about relativity but I'm not totally sure um it doesn't I think the thing is is like it doesn't matter super much that I fully get the intricacies of, you know, astrophysics, but um, nonetheless, it's, it's a bit of a challenge, but like, yeah, yeah, the prestige, like, so the prestige is one of his earlier movies and it's all his, the whole thing is just about the twist, but as, as he like advances as a filmmaker, he adds more complexity to mm-hmm his work right I mean um, I, I know at the end of Inception I was like I have no clue what I just watched like um yeah and- well that one plays with times like time is like a little bit of a Russian doll because you're like inside of a dream inside of a dream inside yeah. of a dream yeah right that was and what I wished that this one was <laughs> I guess I'll just say it because I mean when you even when you just read the description the IMDB description to me I mean, there's a lot of movies that could technically fit into that description a little bit. Um, sure. Wormhole, I guess. But I, if you want to do like a tug at your heartstrings, save your family, save the world movie, like I would prefer to watch Armageddon. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, and I know like a lot, and based on, I looked it up because I was realizing as I was watching it, I was like, I wish this was Armageddon right now. And like, I realized from like, a critical standpoint nobody agrees with me but no absolutely <laughs> not but I agree and, with you, so that's all and like honestly I can say I saw Armageddon like probably when it came out in theaters yeah and never revisited it <laughs> That's wild to me because I really do like that one. And I, and maybe because I'm just too dumb, that one is much more accessible to me. The, the science. Sure. The concept is very like, yeah. Yeah. Broad, I guess. Don't they have to like go to a meteor and like extract a thing and then something happens? 
Well, it, I mean, there's all types of space problems, just as this one, which we'll talk about the space oh, problems. Oh, yes. That drove me crazy. Space but, problems for days. Oh, my God. They couldn't even get two moments rest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was a certain point where I was like, we can't even just breathe for two seconds. Like, Jesus Christ. Well, but, and but, sometimes that was the, it was the opposite that the for the characters, they would have quite a lot of rest in the weird stasis pod. Maybe I didn't understand all that because it was happening mm. fast. But okay, so just because everyone wants to know, this is the plot of Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> they What they have to do, they're a team of oil rig drillers. or Right, oil. I remember that. And so they have to go up in space and drill the meteor so that the meteor splits into two so it passes Earth as opposed to takes Oh, got it, got it, got it. Okay. But there is like, but there is like a situation and somebody behind and blah, blah, blah. I remember that. And they have to drill, they have to drill the thing and then it explodes, whatever. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it hit Earth. But it's just much more simple <laughs> it's much more simple because well, the whole i mean the difference is that in this case the ensuring of humanity survival is about bringing humanity from earth to a totally new planet whereas armageddon is like we're just staying on earth we just have to make yes, sure earth do. doesn't explode like that's a different thing um so in terms of this movie uh, and I, I, this is probably true of many Christopher Nolan movies because they depend so much on twists and kind of um, novelty and in novel concepts, maybe is the way I would say it. Um, he was incredibly secretive about this project um, during its writing. His brother actually wrote the screenplay during the writing and filming stages. Um, I was also because technically there's a twist in this movie. Did you know that? I thought the whole thing, I didn't know it was happening. So I don't know what the twist is. I guess. Well, we can get to it and then I'll see, because I'm not sure I find this to be much of a twist, but some people, I feel like, like when I said I was watching, times. sorry. Oh, sorry. I was just saying, I feel like there was multiple times that you could technically say something was a twist. Oh yeah. I guess now I'm thinking of a second thing. I can think of two things. Yeah, that I guess count as a twist. Um, yeah. And I don't know that I really understood either of them. <laughs> well, yeah, I had to think about the first one in particular. But like the second one is the one I think that most people are like, oh, wait for this reveal. And then when it was revealed, I was like, I don't know that I, that I think that is a reveal. Like, I, that's just I'm not even right. I'm interested to see what these are. Yeah, well, well, we can like we can discuss whether or not we think it's a reveal. But um, so some other important things uh, that are of note is that Kip Thorne, who is a Nobel laureate in physics, um, consulted on this movie. Um, and in general, uh, astronomers and physicists um, and all the various types of people who work kind of to do with space and space travel um, really praised this movie as being um, quite scientifically accurate. Um, Is that not terrifying to you? That's terrifying to me. I mean terrifying in what like what is the terror for you coming out of that realization 
I didn't get any of the science. So I guess that's a silly thing to say. But like, I guess the idea that anything that that had happened in this movie could be possible is scary. Oh, no. I mean, like, so hmm. I found myself when I was watching this movie. Do you remember when we watched the movie, The Black Hole? Yes. (laughs) I couldn't tell you about that movie, but I know I do remember it. Uh, well, I'll tell you that at the end, they go through the black hole and the black hole is hell. And then they get to the other side and it's heaven. Apparently there's that. Um, so, so anyway, like, that is what you're saying. <laughs> it's more accurate than that. It's okay. definitely more accurate than that. Um, and, and like, especially I would say maybe the stuff that I definitely didn't catch super well, but I remember also when we watched the movie, gravity they talked about these kinds of things as well which is like we're gonna fly up to saturn and then we're gonna use saturn's like the speed of its orbit to swing us around and then that's gonna propel us further forward and then we're gonna do these calculations to figure out how many years it takes to get from like place to place like that was pretty accurate um, and, and so I think it's those kinds of details that they're talking about here, right. In terms of accuracy, um, yeah. and what, what might be possible. Um, I think once we get to the point where Matthew McConaughey also similarly goes through the black hole, then we're, and also when the crew goes through the wormhole, like, obviously that's completely, I mean, it's theoretical, but I guess it's like theoretical based on, what people at the moment like believe to be true maybe i guess is how i would say it have astronauts in real life gone through black holes or wormholes? no 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 the very concept of a wormhole is entirely theoretical no one has ever found a wormhole like it's a concept. You explained that to me before, but it clearly it doesn't resonate. It doesn't stick. <laughs> what? I said, I'm pretty sure you've explained that to me before, but it clearly it doesn't stick. Oh, I'm not sure if I've specifically said that wormholes are not something that's been a documented phenomenon, but um, it's like, I don't, I forget why I learned this, to be honest, but like, basically the wormhole is a concept that mathematically is possible and you know physicists and astronomers are like we think that it such a thing is likely somewhere in the universe you know the universe is infinite so it could be there somewhere um but it has never been observed by anyone the phenomenon you know like it's just a, a, a theory that many people believe is reliable i guess is the way to say it yeah um and needless to say, in the context of science fiction, it's a really good theory that exists that people have used quite a lot, you know, as though it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, black holes are real. That's been observed. So this movie has both a wormhole and a black hole, which is like a lot going on. Oh, much um, <laughs> Yeah. And that's maybe why there are extra special, super duty, heavy space problems in this movie Um, I also want to say that um, I actually thought that I mean I guess this stands out like 
So Nolan used the same special effects team that he used from Inception. Okay. And that special effects team is called Double Negative. Um, and what I really liked, and I could, I, I thought the effects in this were really, really good. And, and unsurprisingly, when I did my digging, I think part of the reason I thought that is because it wasn't 100% reliant on uh, CGI. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, there was, I guess, quite a lot of use of miniatures, like especially like the space shuttles and things um, were little tiny models. Oh, that's uh, cute. rather. Hmm. That's cute. I like that. Yeah. Um, and, and as well, they built some of the scenery and they built some of the sets. So like, rather than just having the various actors be on green screen all the time, sometimes they would be on a set that was built to look like what it would ultimately become. Yeah. I like that. Um, yeah. And this is also, I was also noticing, I guess because this movie is so long and there's quite a lot of, don't get me started on how long. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was similarly saddened to realize how long it was. Oh, okay. um, how many sittings or how many viewings did it take you to finish? Cause I'll tell you mine. I needed two. Okay. It took me four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really fair. I needed two because I normally watch the movies on Tuesday. So I have enough time to like do the rest of the preparations. And so Tuesday night came and I didn't even get a terribly late start on watching, but it was late enough to where I was like, oh, it's getting to be like 11 and there's still like 40 minutes of movie left. Like you got through um, like over two hours in one time. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah, I was pretty pleased. Um, I had to watch part of it at the gym, and that was the part like I paid attention probably the most because I had no other distraction. <laughs> you were just like on the treadmill staring at this movie. It was, it was like sort. It was weird because you would think like it oddly made my workout go faster and that part of the movie go faster, which like you would I would have thought it was going to like make everything drag. But yeah. It luckily it it did it made that part like. Cause I was like, <laughs> I was like oh my God, so much movie to watch. <laughs> I know it's true. I, I felt accomplished. I killed two birds with one stone. No. Oh, yeah. I totally get it. But because there's like all this downtime where like dialogue isn't happening, I really noticed the score in this movie quite a lot. And then unsurprisingly, I looked up and the score was done by Hans Zimmer. Who's like a very famous like movie score composer. Mm -hmm. He's done a lot of stuff. Um, and, and this goes back to what you were asking before. At the Now, as time has passed, this is considered to be like one of the best science fiction movies ever, um, ever made. Uh, it is equally beloved by fans and critics. Um, it was a massive blockbuster hit. Um, and so, that, but I'm a little surprised by, I feel like you've said that about other movies on this, that they're the best of all time. Well, yes, it's true. But like, sometimes it's like, oh, this is considered the best of all time, of but not, period. it also isn't like making billions upon billions of dollars or anything oh, like yeah. that. Like 
is considered the best by critics or it's considered the best by fans or it's considered the best because it made the most money. Like we've had ones that have that have performed in in one or two of those categories. I think this is one of the only ones that has performed like that across multiple categories where it really seemed to hit everyone just right. Mm. Um, In terms of uh the dust bowl of it all uh this at least some of this story was inspired by the experiences of the dust bowl Mm -hmm. um and and when you watch those like this is right at the beginning of the movie they have those video clips of like interviews with quite aged people um talking about dust being everywhere and how they lived and all this stuff and that's actually diplomatic way to say that such a diplomatic way to say old people well they were very advanced in age um (laughs) and uh those clips actually came from ken burns's documentary about the dust bowl Hmm. so they um they asked his permission and then they so in fact those are not actors paid to like look as though they're talking about the calamities of this future time those are people talking about a calamity that actually happened Hmm. Um, and then just for the sake of knowledge, because there's nothing in the movie that would tell you this, um, the year is 2067. Okay. Well, uh, well, here goes my first problem with the movie right off the bat. I, there was no setup like, and I, I, so much sci-fi stuff that we watch has such like a, um, has so much um upfront what's the word yes exposition okay. yeah, yeah yeah and this is I was like where 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 are we here like I mean I knew we were on earth I knew it was yeah in the future but like I, I would have liked to have known that <laughs> yeah no it would have I think just a slight indication of the year would have been nice yeah. um but we now we know it and it's like okay so we've got about 40 years but before things really get really really extra bad like worse than they are now um by then i feel like i'll be ready to just let go yeah by then i'll be 80 so i guess i'll be cool with just because i'm not going to space like i'm not fucking going to space no no not when i'm 80 i can't go to space when i'm 80 i can't go to space now yeah, and hope this happened tomorrow, days. I'd be screwed too. But like, I'm not at, at 77, whatever. No, I'm not going to space. Like, you can yeah. just, I'll wait here till Earth explodes. I'll wait here. I'll <laughs> wait. Um, in terms of the cast, this is, um, rather, I mean, it's like extensive in a sense, but also there are only a, a few people that we really need to know about. Um, and that begins kept with- up, though. There kept uh-huh. being- People kept popping up who are famous, and I was like, "Oh, what I know." All of a sudden, in this movie, <laughs> I know. Um, so like the ty- the main character is Cooper, played by a forty five year old Matthew McConaughey, um, who is pretty famous. We know who he is, but I discovered in my uh, googlings that he spent time in Australia after va- after he finished college on a working holiday visa, which I found pleasant since I live in Australia now. Um, <laughs> He his real first kind of um, breakout role was in Dazed and Confused. That was only his third credit on IMDb. 
um, and his first movie, if I remember correctly. Um, he's gone on to be in quite a lot of other things like uh, Lone Star, A Time to Kill. He was in Contact. Um, he was in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Magic Mike. Um, this particular movie came out the same year as he was featured with Woody Harrelson in True Detective. Oh, wow. Um, and most recently, he voices Elvis Presley in that new Netflix animated thing, Agent Elvis, mm-hmm. um, which I watched an episode of, and I, I'm not sure if I like it, but nonetheless, uh, okay. he is like, you know, massive movie star, and he certainly was by the time this movie came out. Oh, yeah. Um, the character Brand is played by a 32-year-old and Hathaway, who I would say by this point was also a pretty big megastar. Mm-hmm. Um, she, I didn't really fully know this, but I guess it makes sense. Her big break was those Princess Diaries movies. Yeah. Um, she was pretty young in those. She would have been, yeah. Um, and I just watched the first Princess Diary movie like recently and was like, this is pretty bad. <laughs> Well, I would say that, like, at this point in your life, you're probably not the demo for that. But no, I am not. And and that's fair. But that being said, I do like a teen movie. So I was like hoping. Yeah, but I think there's like different levels of teen movies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, one is very I don't act, I've never actually seen it, but I have a feeling it's very. It's pretty juvenile. Yeah. Even, for, even as a teenager, you would have found it. And very like yeah i'm very like goody two shoesy i have a feeling yeah 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 um so in terms of so i also noticed that christopher nolan seems to like working with the same people mm-hmm. so she worked on dark knight rises with him so and then she appears here um more recently she was the main witch in the witches mm-hmm. um which I again tried to watch her version of it, like that newer version yeah, of the witches. Like huh? You didn't like it? it? Yeah, it didn't hold my attention at all. Like, um, I think I definitely didn't think it was as good. I don't remember disliking it per se, but that yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough when you're going. I thought she was good, but like, let's be real, she's not Angelica Houston, like. Right. Like I can't remember what yeah. they made really, but yeah, it doesn't have the same appeal. I think there was, I think probably, I also believe if I remember correctly, there was more CGI stuff. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some um, of the fun of that original one was the, was the real, first of all, the real makeup that they had. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, but we don't need to worry about her. She has got six upcoming projects, so she's fine. I was concerned. Um, in terms, then we've got a character called Murph, and many actors play Murph, but the main actor who portrays her is Jessica Chastain, who's 37. Um, she went to Juilliard, which I did not know. Um, but her first big break was actually in the movie The Help, which I've not seen. Um, yeah, but then you don't need to bother. <laughs> yeah, but then she's gone on uh, to be in The Martian, which is reminding me I forgot to include someone here. 
in my list. <laughs> too many okay. Um, the Martian, then she played most recently, she played Tammy Faye in the eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, but I realized watching this, I thought it, when I, when you first told me interstellar, I was like, Oh, that one with, uh, Amy Adams. And oh yeah, I yeah. Like, guess I mean, like seen still shots or something. And then I realized I was like, Oh, I thought this whole time Amy Adams was in this movie and it's fully not her. Well, because it's like Amy Adams and Jessica Chastain may as well, in a sense, be the same actor. <laughs> um, Pretty similar and, to us anyway. And I can certainly see because like when you in Arrival, which we talked about, Amy Adams was dressed much the same as Jessica yeah. Chastain was in this. So and I, could have been, I could have been sort of remembering both of these. There's pushing them. Yeah, there's quite a bunch of, I would say, similarity between yeah. the two, at least in like look and vague yeah. content. Um, then we have Professor Brand, who's played by an 81-year-old Michael Caine. Um, we've I can't remember if we've spoken about Michael Caine before, um, because he's not in too much when it comes to science fiction. Um, but of note, uh, he is one of the few actors who's been nominated for an Academy Award for acting every decade Jesus. for five consecutive decades, um, which is really quite an accomplishment. Um, his first credit is in 1946, uh, and he's gone on to do things like he was a title character in Alfie in 1966. Um, he was in a very dubious movie that I have seen called Blame It on Rio in 1984. Um, he was one of the titular scoundrels in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Um, and he has worked a lot with Christopher Nolan. So he appears quite well, he, regularly. He's in, a lot, he's in a lot of those Batman movies. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, and he is also someone that I try to do an impression of regularly because he's got such uh like unique voice and like style of speaking um and also they have a joke about it in um oh all of those movies with uh fuck who are they it, they're the trip the trip movies where it's like two british guys and oh. they're like middle-aged and they're driving all around have you ever watched any of those movies no, but I know the one guy who's in it. I can only picture the one guy with the longer hair. Um, yeah, with the dark hair. The trip. Steve, Co Steve Coogan oh. and Rob Brydon are the guys I'm thinking of. So they they regularly do a bit in those movies where they're doing Michael Caine. Well, but um, I feel like that makes it easier to get, like, they don't have to do the accent. They just have to do the cadence. Because I think it's right. a cadence thing. Because when I think of Michael Caine, actually, you didn't put his best credit on here which is oh, miss congeniality <laughs> no i was gonna say muppets christmas carol oh of course yes i think like that's what i picture him as but i guess it's just like a famous line when he's like bob cratchit you know <laughs> he says all that stuff from in that movie oh see my whole thing is the only thing i can do when i really get his impression down is this exactly i'm michael kane and I'm like, I can't say anything more than that. Would he ever said that? Why would he ever say that? Everyone knows who why he is. Would, why wouldn't he say I'm Michael Kane? Like, 
it's insane. everyone knows who he is that's like that's like the president walking in and being like i'm the president you know i know like, but still but that's I know. all i can do hi i'm michael kane that's it that's all i got it actually is pretty good i know right well <laughs> i guess i never heard him say that particular thing but, um, <laughs> that's, I mean, but, truthfully truthfully what i'm doing is i'm doing steve coogan doing michael kane it's like i kind of hear that too to be honest because it kind of like, i feel like it has a little bit of it does it sounds like uh yeah i can picture that um and then finally we have uh the character romilly uh played by david gyasi who i thought i recognized but then when i looked at his credits i don't think i really did um i don't know who that is oh that's that other guy okay yeah um he's the other scientist um and he's the one who explains the black hole thing or the wormhole thing um, his first credit was in 2003 in the Amanda Bynes vehicle, What a Girl Wants. Oh, um, Amanda Bynes. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> I said, poor Amanda Bynes. I know. I just, just this week, there was like something that surfaced where she's like, even like things have not gotten better since whenever I last heard about her like, like I think she was like committed to a psych ward just this week. Yeah. Yeah. I feel really bad. I I just, uh, we can't get sidetracked, but I just do wonder <laughs> it's what sad. happened there. Like, the um, star thing is, can really, really mess people up. And I mean, if there's any underlying anything anyway, I think it can really like spin you off into a place. And especially then you have access to wealth. I don't know. It's just a whole thing. The, yeah. the child stardom thing, you know, some people come out on the other side of it. A lot of people don't. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, So, oh, he's also been in uh, another science fiction movie called Annihilation, which is yeah, has kind of similar vibes to this in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, And then most recently he's been on the Amazon Prime show Carnival Row. Um, in terms of some other honorable mentions that we'll see across this movie, we've got Ellen Burstyn, John Lithgow, Timothée Chalamet, David Oyelowo, um, Wes Bentley, Topher Grace, and Matt Damon. Um, and Casey Affleck. Oh, yeah, and Casey Affleck. That's right. And um, if, just so- in case anyone wanted to know, Timothy Chalamet grows up to be Casey Affleck. Indeed. And I, I was having a weird time because I was like watching when they were young and I was like, is that Timothée Chalamet? And then I was like, say his name like that. <laughs> well, he's got it's spelled that way. He spells it where it's like T-I-M-O-T-H-E with an accent double E and then an E after it. So like, but what I, think, else? I think they're French. I think like they're originally French, I assume. But but it's not like I can't call him Timothy Timothy Chalamet, not Chalamet. But I think it's Timothy Chalamet. No, it isn't Timothy Chalamet. It's Timothy Chalamet. Okay, I can't. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not so. trying to be an asshole about a nepo baby, but I can be. But I do think this is genuine. I think he's meant to be called Timothy. Chalamet, I think 
Emote? Now you're changing it. Now it's even worse. (laughs) (laughs) Soon you're going to be like, his name is Timothy. (laughs) I'm Timothy Shalomai. See, there's another one. Another. I don't know what that was. That was kind of, that was Australian or something. He's not British. Um, He's American. I know. Um, so that's, these are the people, the no, the stuff that's happening. Um, now we'll talk about the movie. And I sincerely hope that we can talk about this movie more quickly and in fewer minutes than oh, the movie. To. We have to. Nobody's listening for three hours. Yeah. Indeed. Um, so we open the movie with a title card of Interstellar over a dusty bookshelf. Um, and then we sink into these clips of the very aged people I was talking about, uh, discussing some kind of environmental disaster, which involves quite a lot of dust. Um, and then I think there's also like a bit of a scene of like a, a ship, not a ship, a, a plane kind of crashing or some, some problem. And we wake up in the bedroom of Cooper, and, and Murph is there. And I guess we're just getting the first part of this is just kind of setting the scene. We have a lot of like scenes at home where it's Cooper and his two children, Tom and Murph. Um, and they are living with Donald. Donald is John Lithgow. Tom is Timothée Chalamet. And um, they all live together. Cooper's wife, I guess, is dead. Is that what right? Her mom? Yeah, I guess so. Do they talk about it? They just she's just not there. I I I think because because I think John Lithgow is meant to be Matthew McConaughey's father-in-law. Mm, okay. So the fact that he's still around suggests death rather than divorce to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, definitely, it seems like a death thing. I yeah. Agree. So. If they talked about it specifically no they don't spend too much time on that um then we yeah it's all this kind of scene setting where we see that they have a nice but maybe mildly troubled family life um because then there's this scene where like tom murph and cooper are all in the truck and they're driving to school but then they see a drone flying over and they chase it through the corn um yeah and i didn't get why well, and then my answer is there is no reason because at so like as they're chasing it, Matthew McConaughey says, oh, we can like use the power cell in that drone to like power our like stuff on the farm. But then they don't even do that. So I don't really know. And I guess what it's meant to show, though, is that like. Cooper in particular, Matthew McConaughey, um, is this like person who's interested in technology. Um, and that's, and so is Murph to some degree. And I guess that's why it's important because then the, the reason they're in the truck in the first place is that he's dropping them off at school so he can have a parent teacher conference. Right. And in the parent teacher conference, um, the teachers, I guess, Tom, he's probably maybe meant to be like 15 ish or something. Yeah. Um, They've had some sort of a test or something, or maybe it's just his grades. I can't, I wasn't quite sure, 
But basically, they were like, he's been designated to become a farmer. um, (laughs) And he won't be able to go to college. Um, And though we don't yet know entirely what's going on in this world, we do get the sense from this meeting that, like, college has now become um, a luxury in a sense, um, and also that college has now been very much like even more than it is now tied to the notion that um, if you're going to college, you're going there for a specific type of training that will result in a specific type of job afterward. Um, so Tom is not going there. Um, this makes Matthew McConaughey upset. Um, but then they turned to his daughter, Murph, who apparently had brought a book into school that was like an older book that talked about the various um, moon landings and like um, kind of space exploration that had been done in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And the teacher is like, you know, this is nonsense. She even says like, this is about moon landings that were faked by the United States in order to bankrupt the Soviet Union. Um, and she's a conspiracy theorist. Huh? I said she's a conspiracy theorist. Well, that's the, well, so that's the thing is we start to understand that in this version of the future, she, she says this with such, um, emphaticness that you're like okay and she's a teacher yeah that's like the believed reality yeah and and so because she also goes on to kind of basically say that the 20th century was decadent and wasteful that's why they were so busy trying to go up to space rather than caring about this planet um and we get the sense and this continues to develop Um, a bit over the course of the movie that like because the environmental disaster that people are living through is so intense Mm -hmm. um, all resources have been dedicated specifically to the cultivation of food Mm -hmm. Um, that's why they're growing corn Um, we also learn over the course of the movie that like corn is basically the only thing that can grow anymore Mm -hmm. um no one has figured out what to do. So we, again, we don't fully know the entirety of what the econo- of what the environmental collapse is or like how it started or what. Um, but the end result is that food has become extremely or is becoming extremely scarce. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in this process of trying to dedicate everyone's energies to the creation of food, um, there needed to be a rewriting of history basically that was like, don't give people ideas, I guess you could say like um, we need to, we can't be busy going to space. We need to focus on this planet and we need to get this done. And so that's how the teacher is Mm -hmm. responding to this textbook. And um, Murph, uh, I guess has gotten into some sort of a fist fight with kids at school because she's like, no, this really happened. Um, And so as a result, she's been suspended from school. Um, So 
when they get back home, um, Murph starts noticing that the books in her bedroom have been knocked off the shelf by something that she keeps calling her ghost. Mm-hmm. And she's taking, she like takes notes about the bookshelf um, and keeps trying to like make sense out of it. Cause she's like, they're not just falling off in random ways. There's a pattern to what's going on. Um, but that we only are saying that. So we're like, this is setting something up for later. So we'll just say that now something's happening in her bedroom. Um, yeah, not great. Uh, not great to be like, there's a mysterious president presence in a young girl's bedroom. We don't know what it is. Um, they then, uh, there's a big giant, giant dust storm that happens um and murph has left her window open by mistake so when they finally get into her room they see that the dust that has blown around the room has fallen to the ground in a particular pattern Mm -hmm. Um, and the pattern turns out to be coordinates to a location. That is so um, Yeah. I mean, this I is where... We, I know we figure out stuff later that, like, makes it less creepy, I suppose. But it's creepy. Yeah. And also, like, this is where, like, I agree that there's scientific accuracy to the degree that I'm the one who can say there's scientific... Like, I don't know, man. But, like, um, I do feel like there are some jumps here already where it's like why is your immediate inclination to assume these are coordinates like um like because they say oh it's this gravitational phenomenon is the reason why the dust has collected in this way and I'm like okay so it's a gravitational phenomenon that you've solved it what more do you need to do um but I guess that's just not in the nature of the main characters um So Murph and and Cooper go out to the coordinates. Murph actually isn't meant to go along with him, but she tricks him by hiding in the truck. Um, And they arrive at some kind of high security compound where when um, Cooper tries to cut through the fence, uh, he gets tasered and wakes up and he's being questioned by a robot i do not like that do you remember what the robot looks like is it the robot that's in the rest of the movie yes both um well it sort of looks like a bookend (laughs) yeah Uh, fair it's like what i'm picturing one of those bookends that um uh it's sort of, oh gosh, I don't know how to describe it. Um, it also looks like something that could be considered a, like, a fidget, uh, like a, a fidget toy, sort of. <laughs> like, it, mm. some, it sometimes is, like, flat and rectangular, but it has, like, four parts, I think. Yep. Like yeah. Cylinder, yeah. They're not really cylinders, but they, like, spread, and it could kind of, like, walk like a, yeah. I don't know how to describe it It kind of walks by rotation like it looks like 
Um, like if a wagon wheel didn't have the wheel outside part, just the spokes. Yeah, yeah, part. yeah. Yeah. So yes. So that's what the that's what the robot that is questioning Cooper looks like is a, a kind of a big monolithic slab of metal. That would freak um, you out. That freak you out? Yes. Yes, it would. I mean, nobody here acts freaked out because I guess the conceit is that these this technology has existed for a while by this point. Yeah. Um, I mean, in a sense, it's almost like genuinely a walking computer because um, it's got like commute. It's got like screens on it yeah. as well. It's not at all. Um, it's not at all. Um, what's the is the word like anthropomorphic? Like it doesn't look like right. it's some type of human or like it doesn't right. have any characteristics um, that are right. Human. Yeah. Um, so in the end, uh, what we learn is that this compound that they have found, Murph and Cooper, is actually um, the secret underground bunker for NASA. Um, and at NASA, we have both Brand, which is to say Anne Hathaway, and Professor Brand, Michael Caine. Michael Caine is Anne Hathaway's dad in this scenario. I didn't get that um, much later on, I'll be honest. <laughs> there. Um, and the start of this endeavor is that a bunch of people are asking how they found this place. And he said, you know, like there was this gravitational thing. It turned out to be a code for coordinates. We came here. Um, and the people at NASA reveal that they've gone underground, both literally and figuratively, because per what we just learned by about this teacher, um, like no one's, no one really wants to support what they do publicly. Mm -hmm. Um, and Professor Brand and like flat earthers. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. I mean, I I guess I do understand. I do understand the feeling like from a politician, say, being like, we really do need NASA because Professor Brand explains that he's working on a plan to save humanity. So like any politician worth their salt would be like, yes, Sounds like important. we've got to we've got to like kind of set up a variety of different plans and maybe one of them will work. Right. So like publicly the plans are probably related to improving food supply, improving soil, whatever, but privately there's also this other plan at work as well. Um, and professor brand and Cooper seem to know each other from the past. Um, I guess, because Cooper used to be a pilot. I guess that's presumably how they know each other. Mm -hmm. um, the team at this compound explains that um, they've been tracking gravitational anomaly anomalies um, for the past 50 years, which means that they would have started showing up um, in about 2017. So six years ago, if this is to be believed, these have started showing up. Mm -hmm. um, and that these anomalies turn out to be disruptions in space time. And as they've been monitoring them, they've discovered that there is a wormhole somewhat near to earth 
and that the wormhole leads to another galaxy in which there are 12 habitable planets um, and they have already sent teams to three of them uh, to investigate whether or not humanity can be transplanted to these different worlds. Um, they've sent, huh? I'm just thinking about the 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 logistical nightmare of that. <laughs> oh, indeed. Well, that's actually that's actually one of the issues that this movie uses to create its twist, which is Professor Brand keeps talking about plan A being we find a planet where humans can go and then we somehow figure out how to get humans out there. That's mm -hmm. plan A. And plan B is that the teams who go out to these new planets also carry with them like embryos and okay. stuff to and genetic material to like create a new civilization at the new planet. So that's plan B. Like if we can't get everybody off earth, we can at least send um, our genetic material to another place. Well, and then um, question on that, like is the, so <laughs> in that case, it would be what? Just brand having to be like an incubator, basically. She, she's the only person with yeah. this, it seems. That is unclear to me. Honestly, um, I think they technically describe how just carrying a bunch of inseminated embryos would do something. But now I can't remember. And I yeah, that's a good question, because it's like, can you can you just kind of like activate these little tiny embryos and then can they gestate on their own or do they need to be? in a person yeah, are, you, are you making somebody be pregnant for cuz and then and then as well if cuz like none of the, if that were to be true if like the if the living humans on the mission were meant to be the incubators mm -hmm. for these thousands and thousands of embryos yeah um it, it is physically impossible like yeah, you can't like again, there's literally only one person I'm assuming that has a uterus on that trip. And then also you've got I you'd need more people on that trip to start right. it. Just in just in a right. And as well, the other thing is like say the plan doesn't rely on a a human person being the incubator. Say the plan is somehow like we figured out how to like grow them in yeah. a or something or whatever right. okay yeah. let's say you figure that out yeah um but then i know then you literally have like a thousand babies Fuck, all the way off hell to know that that's like hell that talk yeah. about black hole of hell a thousand babies with like no that's just one baby to me is enough to be in a black hole of hell like um <laughs> like if if my mission was to like repopulate the earth and someone was like you have to take them for the team and take care of one baby I feel like I could, I could maybe handle that you start asking yeah. for more than one I there will be problems but like I know well and also because this is like the whole thing I'm the more you think about it the more you're like this plan doesn't work either because like 
not only is it numerically virtually impossible, yeah, you're also setting up a circumstance where it's like, so you're going to have like a thousand babies and then you're going to have like a thousand 10 year olds and so on and so forth. But you can't create a society out of 10 year olds. Right. Like, here's my other question. And I'm not a scientist. Just disclaimer. But if we're to believe science, wouldn't it be that if humanity is meant to die out, it is meant to die out. And if it is meant to come back, it will come back. It Mm. us like kind of like manufacturing the survival I feel like doesn't necessarily get us where we think it's going to get us yeah I mean that's fair I think that goes to kind of a broader point about like well different areas of science are different but like this yes there's a certain kind of like chauvinism hubris yeah um human bias yeah science if the goal of science is to continue our survival when clearly like um we're is- not nat quote unquote naturally we're not able to survive yeah. right um so in this case though what they're asking cooper to do is to pilot a mission because they reveal that 10 years ago, uh, so I guess 2057, they sent out three separate missions to examine the three closest planets on the other side of the wormhole. And they need to like send somebody out to see if they've gotten any data from these teams. Um, And so Cooper is going to pilot this mission to figure out what's happened to these teams uh, and to figure out if any of the planets are genuinely viable for human habitation. And then Professor Brand is like, on the, well, you do that. I'm going to be working on, he keeps talking about an equation, like a formula as though this formula is going to be the key to getting presumably at least millions of people off a planet into another planet, which I'm like, I don't know how that could be, but okay. Um, Maybe just we have to, they don't make this clear, but maybe the Earth's population has become quite small. I don't really know. Yeah. Um, So Cooper decides that he will go on this mission, um, but the mission will take years to complete um, if it ever gets completed in the first place. Um, And when he reveals to his daughter Murph that he's going, she's extremely upset. Um, And she says like, no, 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 please don't go. I've been watching the messages from the ghost on my bookshelf. And the messages say, stay. Um, This is another thing that I'm just saying now because it will have an import later um but ultimately cooper decides that he's going to go on this mission so we cut to um the team which is brand cooper doyle and romilly taking off from earth uh and then we're introduced to yet a different robotronic life 
called TARS, or sorry, called CASE. So we already met TARS, now we've got CASE. Um, and basically what they first do is they have a shuttle that takes off from Earth, and then they take the shuttle and connect it to the long-term spaceship that's already waiting for them in space called the Endurance. Okay. So I, and I think that's probably like, this is again, this issue of accuracy. I think that's probably what people are pitching now in terms of space travel is you create one larger machine that like waits for you in orbit. Yeah. And then you blast off with a kind of a smaller shuttle craft. And it's just like hanging out in space. The other one. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy though. Is it not? I mean, not crazy. Like, I, again, I know nothing, but that seems crazy that there would just be like a big old ship just like hanging out in space. I don't know. I mean, it seems like that's. I mean, I know they have like space stations and like satellites right. and all that stuff up there anyway, but it, that is just wild. Yeah. So that's what they do. Um, when they get into the larger ship, the Endurance, um, we learn that they'll spend about two years traveling just to get to Saturn. And then, like I said before, when they get to Saturn, like the gravitational pull of Saturn, they're going to let themselves get pulled into it. And then it's going to kind of like whip them around and power them through the wormhole. Um, And over this two-year period, the crew is going to go into stasis, into a sleep mode pod, Mm-hmm. Um, and so they make messages for their families to and they send don't back, age those, right? Like that's, that's the thing with the, those stasis things is you don't age, right? Right. Yeah. And that's also one of the things that will happen in general is that because of the wonkiness of going through the wormhole and they also know that through the wormhole is this black hole. And so when you, so time starts moving differently, basically. Right. Um, and so once they go through the wormhole, they all know that time on Earth will not match the time that they're experiencing. And this is where I started getting very effed up. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. not tracking where we were at versus and like, that's something I don't understand. I understand that they what they the point of what they're doing. They're trying to save humanity. Fine. That's a big deal. <laughs> but indeed, it's kind of a big job. But like at the same time, <laughs> if someone told me you have to do this thing, you'll save humanity, but you'll also miss out on like 50 years on Earth, that would that would mess me up. Like I don't know that I I mean not surprising. I don't think I'm cut out for this type of work. But right, right. That is, they make it seem like you're a bad person if you're, if that's like not, in this movie, I feel. They make it seem like you're a bad person if you care more about your own family, your own life than humanity as a whole. Well, yeah. I mean, that's definitely something that Brand throws in Cooper's face at one point. Um, But that's also like when Cooper is telling Murph that he's going to, be back by the time he she's his age when he leaves yeah. like 
Um, yeah, that's wild to imagine. But that is, I guess, again, this goes back to this notion of the accurate depiction of space travel. Mm -hmm. um, this is the reality of it as we experience oh. it now. Um, that any kind of meaningful interstellar travel, that's why it's called interstellar, um, would take, it would just, it would take years just to get to planets in our own solar system at this point. Um, and, and then to leave the solar system and go any further um, would be a job of like, we're sending out a generational ship where people are going to be born, live and die. And oh. like, this is also this yeah. And that's all supposing you don't have any space problems. Indeed. Um, so when they wake up after their two year break, they've gotten to Saturn. Um, and I will say, I wrote in my notes here, the effects to make Saturn and its rings looks pretty dope. That's what I wrote. Um, <laughs> and it did. It looks dope. Um, so when they wake up, they start moving in position to cross through the wormhole. And um, Cooper says that it looks, it doesn't look like how he expected. And this is when, this is like one of those devices in space movies that I'm always like, why do people do this? This is so stupid. Like Romilly has a piece of paper and he's like, see how this, like on a piece of paper, we have one end of the wormhole and it's in one part of the galaxy. And then we have the other end of the wormhole and it's at this other part of the galaxy. And we fold the paper and we say the wormhole is like, if I put the pencil through the paper and those two spots, that's how it works. Like it brings those two very distant points together. Um, but then it's like, but when you do it with a flat object, it appears as though the wormhole is going to look flat, but really, the wormhole will be three-dimensional. So it's this shiny sphere in the sky kind of thing, um, which is like, okay, I guess. Um, the, the endurance then goes through the wormhole um, and it looks pretty cool. They have some good visuals for what going through a wormhole looks like. Happily, in the case of this movie, they don't end up in hell um although i guess that it's hell is in the black hellish. huh it's kind of hellish but yeah i mean i guess i'm also a bit confused because in the black hole hell is in a black hole not in a wormhole and those are not the same thing so okay um <laughs> as they're going through the wormhole the systems in the ship start to freak out unsurprisingly um and Brand seems to shake hands with some kind of distortion that is like coming into the ship as they're going through. And this is also important for later. What will happen as they move through the wormhole and on the other side? Stay tuned next week. We will continue our discussion on Interstellar. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week 
in Space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.